morning. It's good to see you this morning. And as we uh, celebrate the Lord together, let's uh, pray and ask for God's wisdom. We look at His Word today. Father, as we come before You, may we recognize Your incredible power and Your love in our lives. And as we celebrate You, help us to recognize that focus needs to be on You and You alone. We will give You the glory for what You will do. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, I'm going to start with a, a strange question. Who would you rather be, or what would you rather be, the sun or the moon? And you're like, okay, that's a strange question. question maybe could better be put, what would God rather you be? And you say, you know, John, you know, we're concerned about questions like, how many times is the name Tom Brady going to be listed this afternoon? Or, uh, for most of us, who is my team going to pick in next year's draft because our teams aren't in the Super Bowl? And I, and intentionally a really strange question, and uh, you say, you know, that sounds like, that's weird. But think about it. The difference between the sun and the moon. Now, there are, are many differences, and we're not going to go through every difference, but, but I want to pick out a couple differences between those two, the sun and the moon. The sun has the planets orbit around it while the moon orbits the earth. And the sun provides light while the moon reflects light. In our narrative this morning from Genesis chapter 11 and throughout history, that struggle has and will continue to be a struggle that we as individuals and we as a culture face. Am I like the sun or am I like the moon? Am I the center of it all? Or is my job to reflect what is truly the center? In our story in Genesis chapter 11, we see the story of the Tower of Babel. And it demonstrates the difference between man being the center and God being the center. And in Genesis chapter 11, the people there on the earth in Babel desired to be the center of it all. We find the account in Genesis chapter 11, and it begins with man's plan in the first four verses. It says, beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 11, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had an asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now that doesn't sound bad at all when we look at it just in itself without context. They wanted to, to build this tower and it was going to be a place of worship. They were going to build it. They were going to unite together. That sounds good. But when we, when we step back and see what's taking place, we recognize that there was an incredible struggle going on. They were going to build what we would call a ziggurat. And if archaeology, if you study archaeology, you'll see in that region there were, there were lots of those type of structures that were built. And 
though. They were going to build this. It was going to be a place of worship. It was going to be a place where they were united together as humanity. And as we study history and archaeology, it, it looks as if that tower had incredible astrological significance beginning of the Zodiac as they began to worship the creature rather than the Creator. Romans chapter 1, verses 21-25 through 25 says this, "...because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things." Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Their twofold goal was to make a name for themselves and to stay together. As we saw, They said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves so we don't be scattered abroad across the face of the earth. They had a plan and they desired to follow through with their plan. Their plan was focused on them. And so as we look through the narrative, it's interesting to see God's response in verses 5-9. through We see God's response. It says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do now. Nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them around or abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they cease building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. What's such a big deal? Why did God deal so harshly with them? What was this response that He gave? I mean, here they were. They were building a place of worship. And they were working together. They were united in purpose. And God comes down and He says, this has got to stop. It's not good that they're doing this. And so He confused their language. So that they could not communicate with one another and then they spread abroad over the whole face of the earth. Why did God think He needed to intervene? I mean, he, what was He doing? Now, when, when you read verses 5 and 6, it, it, it almost gives you the picture like God comes out like, whoa! Now, God knew what was going on. It's the picture of His action upon what was going on. Whenever in Scripture you read the, word God, or the words, God remembered, it wasn't that God forgot and then all of a sudden things came to mind. 
Now, my wife can be surprised when I remember to stop at the store on the way home because I'm really good at forgetting, but God never forgets. So last, last week, as we looked at the story of Noah, and, it said, and God remembered Noah in the beginning of chapter 8. God had never forgotten him, but the idea of God remembered is He took action. And here in chapter 11, we see that, that God came down and He saw. He knew what was going on, but He took action. And why was this action so important? Why did God feel He needed to intervene? He did for the benefit of man. He knew what needed to be done. And what He did would slow the spread of sin. And while we think that that maybe God was harsh in His discipline, we find out that this discipline was actually done in love. Just like a loving parent, God desires to protect us. And God was striving to protect them. He knew that if they were allowed to stay together, they would turn from Him and follow their own plans and seek their own desires. And so we see that, that God lovingly disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12 says that when God, that God disciplines those He loves. If you're a parent here, you, you understand that. Now obviously as parents, we're imperfect. God is the perfect parent. But we do things for our children and they may not understand it, but we do it in order to protect them. And God was doing this to protect those people from their own plans, their own desires. And He said, no, you need to spread. And can you imagine what, would ha- what happened on that day? It doesn't say how long they had been building, but they had been building this tower and they were excited about what was happening. It was reaching to the heavens. It, it, and some people say, oh, you mean they were trying to get to heaven? No, it was just an incredible piece of or a work of building, a piece of engineering. And it was amazing what they were doing. But God said, no, you need to stop. And he disciplined. But they were sitting there. Can you imagine that day when, when the guy that they, these two guys had been working side by side on this big ziggurat building thing that, that they were working? They, and then all of a sudden, one turns to the other and he talks to him. The other guy has no idea what he's saying. You've, you've been, if you've been to a, a foreign country, a place where they speak another language, and, and I, I don't pick it up quickly, and, and, it, and it, they start talking, and and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't understand. And these guys, and then the foreman gathers the crew together that are working on a certain area and he starts talking and they're all looking at each other and going like, what are they saying? And it was so bad that, that they began to disperse and spread out into different areas and, and began to have different cultures. And, and Genesis chapter 11 is is where we, we consider, and some people consider, the, the beginning of the races. And, and we're going to take just a, about a 45-second rabbit trail here if you would indulge me in this. I, I know, have you ever heard of racism? Anybody ever hear of that? Okay. You know, God has something to say about that. We are all one race. 
We may have different pigments. But while they spread throughout the earth and built different cultures in their different regions of the world, we are all sons and daughters of Adam. And God loves each and every one of us equally. And we need to love everyone else. All right, rabbit trail done. Let's get back to the story here in Genesis 11 of what's taking place. And so these people spread out everywhere. And God knew that spreading throughout the earth would slow down the spread of sin. Even though we see as time goes on, they still turn from God, but but God was reminding them that He was in control. And this narrative brings us to some battles that took place. What was the battle that these people were facing? It's the same battle that people face today as individuals and that our world faces today. We see that they face the battle of sin. And what was this battle? And we find it, it just the synopsis of it in verse 4. Genesis 11.4 says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Verse 4 lays out this sin battle that the people of, ba- of Babel were facing. They disobeyed God's command to disperse and fill the earth was part of their sin issue. If you go back to the story of Noah that we looked at last week, and we see in chapter 9 and verse 1 that God gave Noah a command after they, the ark had rested, the earth had dried out, and they went off the ark, and God gave them the promise of the rainbow, the covenant that He had made with them. And He gave them a command in chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were spread out throughout the world. But now, time had gone, and we don't know the exact amount of time between the ark and the Tower of Babel, but they were to spread out, but instead they clustered here on the, on the plain of Shinar. And they made plans to, to unite and build this incredible edifice, this incredible place of worship. And I'm sure they were excited as they woke up in the morning and saw it higher and higher, more impressive and more impressive. It was like, look what we built. So they were disobeying God. God said, spread out. And they said, no, we're going to stick together. But it leads us to the second battle of sin, and that's the battle of pride. They built this tower with a desire to make a name for themselves. Throughout history, man has struggled with pride. You see, these people had a love for human praise and a desire to provide their own security rather than a goal and desire to please God and trusting Him for their security. And it's the same battle we face each and every day. You see, the battle of disobedience, the battle of pride, those battles of sin lead to a second battle, 
And that's the question of who is in the center. The battle for the center. Throughout the first chapters of Genesis, we have seen this battle play. We go to Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve as they decided to eat the fruit. How did Satan tempt them? He tempted them by saying, doesn't this look good? But the ultimate of his temptation was, you can be like God, knowing good from evil. Wow. To be like God. What did Adam and Eve choose? They chose to eat the fruit. Now, what was their excuse? Well, their excuse was, how dare God keep us from this fruit? I mean, God allowed them everything else. God walked with them in the garden. God provided relationship with them. God was there all the time and God allowed them a beautiful garden that they could do everything except one thing. But they wanted their own plan, their own desires. They wanted to be like God. So then we move forward to Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. What was Cain's issue? Cain's issue was that he wanted to, God, to worship God on his own terms. And then how dare God accept Abel's sacrifice and not accept his? And so his jealousy, his anger with God, and his jealousy of his brother caused him to go ahead and kill Abel and turn his back on God. And his selfishness was evident. His selfishness as he, he wanted to do it his own way. His selfishness as he wanted to get rid of Abel because Abel got a good grade and he didn't. And his selfishness, even to the extreme that, that when God said, alright, I'll give you a second chance, he turned his back on God. And then what did he do? He was focused on, it's not fair. He didn't respond in repentance. Instead, he responded in, in, in self-pity. And even then, God protected him. And put a mark on Cain so that no one would kill Cain. Because Cain said, because of what I've done and because of your curse on me, I am going to be cursed by men and I'm going to be killed. And God protected Cain even in his disobedience. But what about in the days of Noah? We saw that in the beginning of chapter 6 as we're introduced to Noah and the ark. And what did the people do? They did what was right in their own eyes. It was all about them. What made them feel good? They wanted to be the center of it all. They chose to do what made them feel good rather than what they knew was good. It's interesting, you go through, and, and next week we're going to end the series looking at chapter 12, which is the, the beginnings of the nation of Israel and a guy named Abraham. But we see that 
the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God chose to work through them throughout. We read it throughout the Old Testament and we see the sad story of how God provided for them. God blessed them. God protected them. God walked with them. But what did they do? They said, you know, we're going to do our own thing. And so it got so bad that as we read at the beginning of the book of Judges, God had just taken them out of, from slaves from Egypt and taken them across the wilderness for 40 years and brought them to the promised land and gave them amazing victory that only God could give. And so they got settled in the land and they took their eyes off God and they said, we can do this ourselves. And it says as the book of Judges begins, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's all about me. What makes me feel good? And so, the world continues to say it's all about me. It's all about us. And the people there on the plain of Shinar building this tower were building a man-centered civilization. Now, we struggle with that today. In fact, a, a fast food restaurant build a whole advertising campaign on what? You can have it your way. It's all about you. Now, this afternoon, evening, many will be watching, there's a, a football game on, I guess, and uh, many will be watching that, right? And, and, Corporations are going to be spending, and I think, and I may be wrong on this, but I think it was like six and a half million dollars for a 30 second advertisement. I, I could be wrong, but lots of money. Uh, for us to have one for our church, we're going to need to take another offering a little later on to be able to, to, to pay for our Super Bowl ad. But, and what is that advertisement going to do? It's going to remind you that you are discontent, that you need something that you don't have. Now, there's some great marketers who are going to do some really funny things, I'm sure, to, to help you recognize that you don't have what you want, but that's what Satan has been doing throughout history. What he did with Adam and Eve, how dare God. What he did with Cain. How come God loves my brother more than he loves me? Which was a false statement. That's what he did with the people around the time of Noah. That's what he did with the people at Babel. How dare God say that we should spread out and fill the earth? No, we want to stick together and do something where everyone says, look what we did. And we see... That's all. Now, we've come up with names. And uh, if you've been going to the biblical worldview class, you've been talking some of these things. But uh, the name that, that our culture follows, and there's some different terms, but we use the term postmodern. You heard that title? What, what does it mean to, to live in the culture that we live in today? But by the way, it's the same struggles that they had in the Tower of Babel. 
It's the same struggles they had throughout the stories of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. It's the same stories that happened in the New Testament as people turned their back on God. It's the same stories and struggles that we've had throughout history. Postmodern. What does postmodernism teach? What does Satan attempt to get us to believe? Well, we must depend upon ourselves to make the most out of our life. That's really the foundation of it. I need to have a life that makes me happy and so I'm going to do whatever it takes because it, it depends on me. We focused on opinions and emotions rather than on facts. Morality is personal choice rather than living by truth. And since truth is relative, all religions are valid. You believe what you want to. I'll believe what we wa- I want to. We'll all get along as, you, as long as you don't mess with what I want. And that's a self-centered, man-centered society or culture. It's interesting as we read those first four verses of Genesis 11, and it talks about, and again, chapter, verse 4 is really the synopsis of what it was all about. Let's do something so that people will recognize us. If you go back to, to the earlier verses there, there's, just a, there's, there's something that, why did God put it in Scripture? It says, so they made bricks and mortar. That time, that was advanced. Now, by the way, it's in the Middle East, probably right around what we would call today Iraq. And it says, and they used asphalt for it. Is there any oil in that area? Yeah, they probably had tar pits all around there, like they do today. But, but why was that important? Because it was more of, look what we can do. Look at our technology. Any of that happening today? And we see that, that it was all about them. It boils down to man being the center, man being in control. But is that really what will make us happy? Is that really what will bring contentment in our lives. I uh, read a story this week of, of a famous athlete who decided to end his life. People all around him would just love to have his autograph. But he questioned, why is life worth it? And again, suicide is a real difficult. But we must recognize that it's not all about me. Because if I think it's all about me, there's going to be a time when I recognize I can't do it. And these people in Babel, God in His love came down and said, no, try it my way. They wanted it 
their way. And we see the struggle that continues on in our lives as individuals, in our culture, in our world today. What brings true contentment? It's only God. Instead of looking to themselves for their security, instead of trying to gain the praise of men, they needed to recognize that their security and their hope could only come in God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul encourages the people in what they have in Jesus Christ. And you may look at this passage and say, I don't understand what this has to do with a, a ziggurat and some uh, bricks and mortar, but I think there's a great connection. It says in Ephesians 1, 11 and 12, In Him, that's in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Now first of all, I, I want you to look at the pronouns in Genesis 11.4 versus Ephesians 1.11 and 12. If you go back to Genesis 11.4, you'll see, let us and we over and over again. You know, let us build ourselves a city and, and a tower. Let us make a name for ourselves because we don't want to be scattered around. But in Ephesians 1, 11 and 12, it's in Him. And you say, oh, but there's a we there. We have obtained an inheritance. Well, guess what? That's passive. It's given to us. It's not done by us. We have obtained, because of Him, we have obtained an inheritance. And the purpose of Him, who works, to, or works all things according to the counsel of His will. I say, but there's another we there. We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. I am here to glorify Him. Now, there's some things that we can be taught from Ephesians 1, 11, and 12. And there's more than this, but I'd like to share three things. One is we can discover our purpose, our identity through our relationship with God. That's the only way we can discover our true purpose, our true identity. Nothing else we do or try will bring that purpose Number two, God has been thinking about us for a long time. He has been planning our lives. You remember Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. We, we went through that a while back. And in that passage, the reminder that we are knit together by God in our mother's womb. And as we look back, even as we go back to the beginning of our, our study of Genesis, we see as man turned his back on God and Adam and Eve chose to sin, God began to put into motion His redemptive work. 
and gave them the promise in the midst of their discipline of Adam and Eve. God gave them the promise that Jesus Christ was going to come and provide the hope that God can give. God has been thinking about us for a long time. God cares about me. He's been involved in my life from the womb. And number three, we're not the center of the universe. Our lives fit into a much larger purpose. An eternal Those people in Genesis 11, it was like, <laughs> we're going to build this incredible structure and then everyone's going to say, you are amazing. But God said, no. There's one who is amazing. And that's God. And our purpose is to praise Him. And the crazy thing is, when we fulfill that purpose, it gives us satisfaction because I you will not have satisfaction without the goal of pleasing God the book of Ecclesiastes written by a guy named Solomon considered the wisest man in the world he wrote many, most of the Proverbs and, and he was considered just unbelievable he was very wealthy he had everything he could ever want Smart, powerful, wealthy. Not a bad threesome. You say, I could handle those. But guess what Solomon said? He said, it's all vanity or worthless. Then he gets to the end of his story in chapter 12. And really, the book of Ecclesiastes is the autobiography of Solomon. He wrote it at the end of his life. He was just about ready to die. And he looked back at all the foolish things he tried to bring contentment in his life. And he'd say, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. Then he gets to chapter 12 and he says this. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and follow His commandments. That's it. That is the whole... Another author says in Scripture, this is the whole duty of man. Honor God. Serve. And how can we do that? Well, there's a key. I have to believe that God is powerful enough and loving enough to desire and follow through on what is my best. And then I can trust and give it to Him. Because He is the one who can fulfill what I need. He can fulfill what I need for my salvation. No matter what I try to do, no matter how good I try to be, I can't earn God's forgiveness. I can't earn righteousness. only in God alone and sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you're trying to make it to heaven in any other way, you will fail miserably. Every one of us will without Christ. But then in my life, whether it's the mountaintop or the valley, 
I need to recognize that God is the one who is in control and I can trust Him with whatever circumstance I'm facing. I have a big exam this week. It would be good to study. God encourages you to do that too. But I can trust God for my relationship, for my provision in every area of my life. And I respond by reflecting His love. As we end back to the beginning, remember that dumb question, the sun or the moon? What does the moon do? It's not the center. It orbits around the center. In our moon's case, it orbits around the earth. But it reflects the light of the sun. That's what we're called to do. We're called to reflect the light and the love. And when that happens, we fulfill our responsibility. We find purpose and contentment in life. So you can go out this afternoon and build a ziggurat that reaches up to the heaven. But you won't find Trust God. Look to Him. You will find peace, hope, God, and Him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank You, this Almighty God, that You love us more than we can imagine. Help us to recognize the foolishness of trying our own plans. Lord, help us to live with a God-centered life. Thank You and praise You for Your goodness, for Your faithfulness, and your love in our lives each and every day. Lord, help us to reflect you well. We pray this in Jesus' name.